0: The information in this podcast is not a substitute for help from a licensed mental health professional. Welcome back to episode 68 of the Practice of Being Seen podcast. I'm your host, Rebecca Wong, relationship therapist and mentor to therapist changemakers. The POBScast is a collection of weekly connectfulness conversations where we examine how to create deeply restorative ripples of transformation within ourselves and within the world around us. Deep down, we all really want to be seen. So how do we put into practice seeing each other? We're talking about understanding gender identity as a practice of seeing. My guest is Dara Hoffman Fox, a licensed practicing counselor and gender therapist. Dara loves to talk about invisible spaces and no issue brings them to light better than the expression of gender identity. As a non-binary gender therapist, Dara specializes in gender-questioning non-binary and transgender individuals. Dara is on a mission not just to educate other therapists about the specific and often alienating issues that these individuals face, but also to inspire a community of people who are practicing inclusive language and attitudes in every aspect of life. We're talking about how to understand our social biases towards binary gender. There are more than two forms of sexual identity, and there's a wide range of gender expression. Dara is inviting us to enter into a social movement that allows everyone, regardless of gender identity and gender expression, to be seen for who they really are. Join us.
1: So hi, Dara.
0: I'm so glad you're here with us today.
1: Thanks, Rebecca. I've been listening to your show for so long, so it's really great to be here finally.
0: Yeah, it's so good to have you. I wonder if you can start by jumping in with us and sharing with our listeners a little bit about your mission and the work that you do.
1: Yes, I am, I guess by trade, I am a licensed professional counselor. And then underneath that subcategory, I'd be known as a gender therapist, which by the way, that's not necessarily at this point a certification process. Like a lot of things, when you feel ready to call yourself that, you call yourself that. So what that means is that a large part of the work I do with clients is with those who are gender questioning and those who are transgender and non-binary. And so this is something I just really didn't expect to get involved with, you know, early on in my career. And so it really has evolved, which I think is the coolest way that things end up going. When it comes to a mission, you're like looking around, I was looking for my purpose in life and I was trying all these things. It was always right in front of me. Like I have these clients who are so in need of my help.
0: Yeah. I find that the best like journeys that we go on in life, they feel very spiritual and they seem to find us instead of us really trying to figure out what they are ahead of time.
1: I've heard you interview a lot of guests who have said that that's it. So anytime I've heard somebody talking about that, it just really resonates me. And I kind of like, yeah, like fist pump, like it's that sense where you know that you're on the right path Mm. and it really did happen. And honestly, I just remember one day I was just sort of eating lunch in the middle of in between clients. This would have been around 2013. And I was thinking about the clients I have and who I see. And I was like, God, I really have a lot of transgender clients. I wonder what percentage. And it was like 80%. And I was like, God, this could really be maybe my niche. And what could I do to make that even more so something that I'm going to be involved with? And that's where it evolved into me having a blog and a YouTube channel. But it's, it really...
0: pause and just name your sure. YouTube channel. It's Conversations with a Gender Therapist, correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it is amazing. If any of you in our listening audience haven't already checked out Dara's YouTube channel, please do because there's just such an amazing amount of information there.
1: Thanks, Rebecca. That's great feedback. And, you know, the channel itself has evolved as I have evolved, which is really neat to see because early on, you know, I was talking about things about, you know, here's how you can figure out if you're transgender. And so it turns out in my own personal journey that I myself, I'm non-binary, but this is something I didn't really figure out until, gosh, like the nibbles of it started in 2014 and definitely about a year after that is when I really realized this was going on with me. So here I was working with clients who were, you know, transitioning on a binary, male to female, female to male. So I think it just didn't cross my radar that maybe I'm somewhere in there as well.
0: Can you explain this binary? I know I've talked about it on past episodes, certainly in my episode with Cindy Darnell. Earlier this season, we had a conversation about the binaries. But I wonder if you can also just bring us in in your own language and help everybody who's listening really understand what this means. As I'm understanding it, there's a fluidity
1: wanna also mention how happy I was to hear that you had that conversation during that episode because that is a really clear example of where I was listening, you know, to your podcast and then I heard conversations were happening. And for a moment, you know, I was like, oh, I'm feeling a little left out because it felt like The conversation was about men and women or males and females. And then you jumped in and you mentioned, you know, yes. And, you know, this is leaning more towards a binary aspect of this. So let's make sure to bring in. And then the conversation, like, just really, like, took off. And actually, in my car driving, like, I just kind of fist pumped. And I was like, yes, Rebecca, like, thank you for doing that that's, you know, the invisibility factor of being non-binary. And that's because, like I said, in a binary, you know, in this case with gender is male and female. So, For the most part, there's a lot of gendered choices that we have in our society, so restrooms are oftentimes a great example of that. You know, when I walk up to restrooms, I either have to choose male or female, and sure, there might be like a family restroom or something like that occasionally, and nowadays there's more gender-neutral restrooms, but even in terms of language, being called ma'am or being addressed as ladies when I'm with my wife, for instance, these are things that throughout the day as somebody who's non-binary it's known as non-binary erasure and it's taken me time to figure out how do I feel about that and what do I do about it so I definitely go through times where I guess the best way I could describe it is that it hurts my feelings but I have to remember like this is still very new for me even let alone for you
0: and for the society around you
1: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so I think a big part of the work I'm doing now in terms of trying to educate people is to let everyone know, you know, that it's important for us to be patient with one another and to be able to really listen to what are the questions, you know, where is it that somebody feels nervous if they're going to mess up. I know that when a server comes up to me at a restaurant and they say, hello, ladies, how are you? I mean, they are coming in to being friendly and excited and wanting to really give me as great experience as a customer. And inside I have this, like the sinking feeling of like, oh, I'm not a lady. And then like, oh, how do I tell this person? So here's what non-binary means. Can you just do something else? And so it's just to let those who are non-binary know, as well as those who aren't non-binary, it's totally understandable that this is going to be awkward and it's going to be weird for a while. And I think that's the biggest part is that let's just acknowledge that. Let's get
0: comfortable in that discomfort.
1: Thank you. Yes, very much so.
0: I want to go backwards for a minute and then I want to hop forwards again. But one of the reasons I want to hop backwards is we were talking about how new this all is. And it's actually not really that new, right? There are different cultures that have for a long time described more than two forms of sexual identity where we're talking about, I believe it's Native Americans and some Kabbalistic Jewish traditions where there have been like up to seven different like male, female, and more non-binary forms of identification. So this isn't so new, but in terms of how we're addressing it, maybe that's the newer part.
1: Exactly, like putting words to feelings. And I think a good example of that is, for instance, I'm going to be turning 44 this summer and so but when I was born back in 1974 my gender identity was non-binary but that word certainly did not yet exist and especially the way it is you know known nowadays and it wasn't defined and it, there was no YouTube channel I could go to to watch things about that as a kid so like you said it goes to to show this is something that has existed this isn't something that Millennials or today's youth have invented on Tumblr, which is one thing I've heard people say, especially about non binary, and saying, Oh, you know, oh, isn't that cute over there? And I call myself a non binary elder because I'm like, No, this isn't something that we're doing for attention or trying to be rebellious. This is an actual gender identity. And as you said, this is something that has been in existence since the beginning of time. And so, therefore, just because we're now finally naming it doesn't mean that it's new.
0: Yeah, I think it actually does us all a service, to name it, because I personally, especially as a relationship therapist who sits in the room with a lot of cisgendered heterosexual couples, I don't think the binary serve any of us.
1: Yes, thank you for mentioning that. And I think that's part of what our discussion today I really appreciate is this is something for us to all be able to continue to look at in our lives. It really is surprising if you really start examining, even for cisgender people, the binary and how much are you attached to it or how much do you attach it to other people? Yeah, um,
0: much of my work is around Terry Reel's relational life therapy model, and it's Mm -hmm. all about dismantling the patriarchy and letting men and women kind of be a little bit more fluid in their identity.
1: Right, right. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah. And just a real quick point as we're talking about non-binary. And again, this is, think about there, this is very simplified, but so if you're going to go onto the internet and you're checking off, you know, you're filling out an application and it asks you, what is your gender? A lot of times that might be like, let's say you're trying to get an airplane ticket. Like they only give you male and female and it has to do with background checks and things like that. So Ideally, you know, I would want to see something, a third option there. And it could be non-binary, sometimes they put other, third gender, whatever that might be. I would love to have that on my driver's license where I don't have to have female. And I don't want male on my driver's license either. So I think in California, I think it might be an X that you can put there at this point. That's the simplest way I can describe it. There's male, female, and then there's this non-binary umbrella. Underneath non-binary, there are then the different shades of non-binary. For I feel very consistent in my non-binary identity. I don't feel from moment to moment or day to day that I'm female or male or a mix of both. Like I just feel like Dara all the time. And I have called my gender identity Dara at times because that's really the best way I could describe it. But there definitely are those who, in terms of being gender fluid, they truly do feel like their gender is a more fluid experience to them. So just wanted to jump in with that point of clarification slash probably making things more complex by saying that.
0: No, I I don't believe that there's any true simplicity in all of this, except for the simplicity we attribute to it, that the way that we start to identify ourselves, that's where the simplicity gets kind of brought in when we bring a definition to how we see ourselves, but there's no complexity in how we all are. Yeah,
1: that's great. Great.
0: Dara, in the past, you've shared a story about an experience you recently had at a restaurant. And I found that story to be so illustrative and beautiful, and it was such a teachable moment. And I wonder if you would mind resharing that story for our listeners, and then we'll just kind of dive in with wherever we go from there.
1: I am so happy that you want to talk about this, and I have to admit that I shared this on my Facebook page, and I shared it and then didn't check Facebook again for hours later. And there were like 223 likes and it was shared and comments and I was like wow this is a real conversation starter it was enormous yeah and so that kind of thing happens it's amazing because then I know okay this is important this is something that definitely needs let's take a step back and actually mm-hmm. see what was going on here so let's see my wife and I we were at one of our favorite places for brunch and there was a server there who came up and I'm going to refer to her as she, her, because I did ask her what her pronouns were eventually. So I do know that she identifies as female, but we had seen her before as a server at other tables and she uses ma'am and ladies a lot. And so I will admit in the past, I'm like, oh, if, if she's our server, then, you know, I wonder what I'm going to say and how will I let her know. So just to kind of pause for a second, the reason for me that when I'm addressed as ma'am or ladies that it is uncomfortable to me, especially in a restaurant situation is that I used to be a server and I love the experience of you're in a restaurant and your server really helps add to your experience. And I form a connection with that person. And so the moment that they misgender me as female, it's like a record that's playing. It goes, you know, it just puts a stop and a skid To that experience. And so I realized that this is really what my end goal is. It's to say, look, I want this to be an enjoyable experience for myself and for the server. So what can I do about this? And so she, you want more connection. Yes. And actually, it was a male cisgender friend of mine who pointed that out. And he said, oh, that happens to me at work when I'm called sir. I hate it. Even though I am a guy, I hate it. I feel so disconnected from my employees when they do that. And I was like, that's exactly how I feel in those situations when that happens. And I just love connecting. That's really one of my, I don't know, favorite pastimes. (laughs) And so to have something like when I'm misgendered, it's not something that I consciously think to myself, oh no, I can't believe that happened. Just as a visceral feeling and a sensate feeling that comes over me of not having been seen accurately. And again, they don't know but that is what's happened. So I have been trying to figure out how do I communicate this in a way that totally doesn't bum out the server, create more awkwardness or make them feel like I'm being critical. And so sometimes I just won't say anything. But this time, you know, because my wife has been encouraging me to speak up more often after I waited till after she took our order, you know, because I didn't want to interrupt. And then I did say something about, I was very nervous, but I'm sure I said something about, oh, by the way, we would prefer if you didn't use the term ladies because my wife said she doesn't like it for herself and doesn't mind being lumped into that statement and so the server you know I could tell she was kind of like oh crap what do I just do and what's happened and she's like well, what else can I use instead so we just you know for a minute we were like oh I don't know like folks or friends or y'all and so we could tell she got flustered and then during the rest of the meal I was like oh no like oh, I totally bumped her out so at the end of the meal she kind of like crouched down and said look I want to be able to talk more about this because this whole time that I've been serving other customers every time I've said ladies I now am wondering if I'm making someone uncomfortable
0: what an amazing like quick transformation already exactly. happening right there in that moment
1: Exactly. And so, I mean, I was astounded even hearing her say that. And, you know, how cool for her to be able to then come back and say, look, like, this has been happening to me since you mentioned that. And I want to understand more. So, you know, she's a busy person, but she sat for about 10 minutes and wanted to know more about what makes me uncomfortable about that, what are the options that she can use instead, and yeah, so we just had this, you know, the whole time, I'm just kind of like almost tearing up, because I'm like, this is exactly what you know, I want to take a picture and record it and share it with the world because this is exactly what I'm talking about. It's not just about me saying, hey, you know, you misgendered me and I don't feel good when that happens. It's about the two of us and my wife, you know, joined in the conversation too, us having that shared moment together.
0: It's a collaboration. And now you went from feeling unseen and not connected to now you're collaborating and you're really, really connected. Mm-hmm. And
1: at the end of the, like, this really did happen. It sounds like it was too good to be true. But at the end, she said, I feel like next time you come in, I can say, hello, friends, how are you today instead of ladies? Because she said, I feel like, you know, she said, I I wouldn't feel uncomfortable calling you friends at this point. And I was like, oh, I heard her talking to another server. She didn't know I was like walking past them. And she said, I'm going to go on YouTube and try to find information about this. And which made me realize I do need to then as soon as possible create a video specifically maybe for customer service persons to watch when this happens and maybe have a little card that I can hand to people to be able to encourage them to watch it because the desire to be able to learn, that was really so so clear.
0: Yeah, that desire was so big and so she was so open.
1: Yes. And even myself, I was thinking about it and I kept referring to her, you know, as she, and I'm talking to my wife, like, oh, she did this, she does that. And I was like, wait a second. I never asked her her pronouns. And so, you know, I had gotten up. I was like, by the way, like, you know, what pronouns do you use? Because I've been, you know, assuming female, which is exactly what I was telling you that, you know, would happen to me. And she was like, oh, I'm female. (laughs) And so I said, okay, so she, her. And, so that's something I've been practicing a lot more lately, is that I will still make assumptions that people are male or female if I, you know, am talking to somebody else and I'm like, whoa, I'm doing the same thing that I myself am asking people to do. Don't assume I'm male you know, or female, especially I'm usually a as misgendered as female. You know, there's this other option. And then here I am doing that as well. So I need practice too.
0: You know, I love that you're leading with that, with the fact that you also need practice here, because I think this is something that so many of us don't even realize can be part of a conversation to make other people feel comfortable.
1: Yes, absolutely. The comfortability for somebody who is, let's say, an ally and wants to be able to do better than wondering if I mess up, is someone going to get mad at me? And then I've been on the other side of that before where I've, you know, have said things and it's been accidentally hurtful microaggressions and if somebody doesn't let me know I have created or caused a microaggression in that moment then a I don't know and I can't change it or if they do let me know if they can do it in a way in which I know I've hurt them but they also recognize I know it was an accident that you did that but I need to let you know that was hurtful the words that you just used
0: similarly to how you did with the server
1: yes I think if you could just convey this information in a way that's compassionate and kind, which can be hard sometimes because there is like that, like I said, that hurt feeling can come up inside and you're emotional. But I've noticed that the more I practice it, the more I'm like, okay, here's that feeling. I'm already going to expect to probably be misgendered. So breathe. And then, you know, what can I say next so that I can Mm -hmm. create a connection in this moment?
0: I love that. You know, I wonder if you can guide all of our listeners through just how to open up a conversation around asking somebody, what's your pronoun? Is it that simple? Is it just like, hello, how are you? What's your name? What's your pronoun?
1: That's a great question because I've been thinking about that a lot lately. I've been thinking about how can I actually just make that more of a part of conversation that's very natural, even though it won't feel natural, but can it eventually feel very natural if we're all doing that on a more regular basis? And one example is that a friend of my wife's She's going to be coming to town. She's gender, And she was starting to write me a, a message. And it's been a few years since we connected. And she said, oh, first of all, just wanted to check in. What are your pronouns? Mine are she, her. And I think it's partially she knows the work that I do. Um, and also she's working on a film that has some trans themes in it. But I was like, what? That is amazing. Like somebody either you've never talked to before or somebody maybe you haven't connected with in a while it just sounded so friendly and nice. And so again, this I'm learning, you know, people who are cisgender have really good ideas about how to do this. And I think when, especially with the way she took the lead in that, it really made me step back and say, you know, I'm not a pain in the butt. If I ask people what their pronouns are, because I want to be able to let them know as well. It's not just about me. I want to know what yours are too. And so that was a really, really cool. That was through Facebook messenger. So there's different ways you can do it through writing. And maybe that could even be more, a little more comfortable because you're like, here, this mm-hmm. sounds kind of like a nice, so in person, it could be a little, it could maybe feel a little more awkward. So if I see somebody I haven't seen for a while, I have been getting into the habit of saying, after we greet each other and say, oh, by the way, you know, it's been while well since we've seen each other. And for me, I can lead with myself and say, I've changed my pronouns. And now it's, I prefer use Dara or they, them. And I wanted to check in, you know, about your pronouns. But if you're not trans, and that's not something you can, you know, start off and say, hey, it's been a while since we've connected, and I just want to make sure that you're comfortable during the conversation with pronoun usage. I mean, it even also means if somebody in the middle of conversation uses female gendered language. You know, I also don't like being called ma'am or girl, or there's so many tiny, you know, somebody will say, oh, girl, and they're like, oh, no, dear, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, that's okay. Like, I know it's so easy just I used to say that too. I used to call myself that too. It takes a little while to get used to that.
0: Yeah. I caught myself doing it this morning when I was out on a walk with my dog and I was having a conversation with some people on the rail trail and I caught myself using the term ladies and I didn't ask them if that's how they want to be labeled, Mm. you know? So I caught myself in the moment this morning and it was just kind of like, oh, oh, I just heard myself do that okay, there's my awareness. We can yeah. kind of like sit with that and maybe next time I'll be more aware.
1: Yeah. yeah, that's a great example of that because our brains get really, you know, there's a groove that's mm-hmm. in there for a long time, for years and years. And like the server that we're talking about, yeah, I can tell like she's been using that her whole life. Yes. And so I also wanted her to know, you know, you know, if you're with people, you already know everybody's gender, mm-hmm. then go for it or if these are customers you've seen over and over again and you know, some people like enjoy that. Oh, and I tell you what, this is such a conundrum because I know for my trans clients, let's say I have a trans female client. So that means they were assigned male at birth and then they have transitioned to female. If they are called ma'am, in public, it makes them so happy because they know, yes, mm-hmm. I finally, they feel seen, right? I'm finally being seen as female. I'm being experienced as female. So that part of it, because I hesitate to say, everybody stop using ma'am, everybody stop using sir and ladies and gentlemen, you know, be gone with it all. You know, even though I know for myself, that might make me more comfortable. It still is really important for a lot of folks.
0: You know, this podcast is called practice of being seen. Mm -hmm. And I'm really aware of how much of this conversation is about the invisible spaces, and that that's really the crux of the issue. Earlier, you said that you experienced a sensate feeling of not having been seen accurately. And I think in so many cases, this is what this conversation is really about. It's about how do we practice seeing each other?
1: That's beautiful. Yes, and right, how apropos, this is the name of your podcast. (laughs) So I had to go there. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's, you know, and I'm glad you brought that up because like I said, this isn't just about non-binary erasure. Then, you know, there are those who have used that vernacular in terms of, you know, whether it's because they're from the South or they came from parents who said, this is how you treat people respectfully. Like that is a belief that's really ingrained And then to be told like, hey, guess what? Like you can't assume someone's gender by just looking at them. I mean, that can be really difficult to sit with and figure out what do I do about that? And I don't have a good answer for that either, except let's just keep trying to find solutions so that everybody can feel seen.
0: Yeah, I think it's just the trying. I think that's where the effort, that's the crux of this, you know. I have had people around me in my life ask me questions like, well, help me understand this they, them pronoun. Because it's plural, right?
1: It's used in some instances. Yeah. And let's say a lot of times go, it's go used ahead. In plural.
0: Yeah. And so I want you to help us with that a little bit to the extent that you can. And I understand that that also is like evolving, right? Mm-hmm, correct. And our language is limited. I think that's another piece of this is that mm-hmm. we can't just, you know, I mean, Prince made up his own symbol, but Mm -hmm. (laughs) ah, I just did it. I didn't just call Prince Prince.
1: Ah, well, yeah, that's true. And I actually, now that I think about it, I mean, I would say that we've probably seen Prince referred to as he, him, but I don't. But how would Prince Prince have wanted to be? Yeah. 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 Right. And in that case, you know, sadly, we can't ask him what his pronouns are because that would be ideally like, oh, hold on a second just use he, him, Is but let me pause. Is that correct? So I have read articles, and unfortunately, I have a bad memory for remembering things that are really helpful. Articles about how they, them has been used as a singular pronoun, and I've, you know, for decades, you know, there's ways that it has still been used, and people give the example also where if somebody doesn't know someone's gender, it has been put into conversation where someone's like, oh, I'm trying to think of an example. Like if someone said, oh, somebody left their sunglasses here. So let's put them in the lost and found. So that's so easy to say. Like, you don't know if it was like a guy or a girl, a non-binary who. You're not saying like a non-binary person left their sunglasses here. You're just saying, oh, someone left their sunglasses here. So this is, people can probably think, oh, yeah, I probably have done that before.
0: I've been in conversation with my daughters. And we've been out and about somewhere doing something in the world and have come across somebody who we couldn't tell what their gender was. And I've just, you know, in, in conversation, I've used the they, them, their pronouns, because it felt a lot more comfortable for me in that moment, than assuming. Mm, mm-hmm.
1: Thanks for showing your kids that, by the way, too.
0: Yeah, well, I think that that was really important for me, you know, to give them that context. And they did, they questioned me, they asked me why I said they. And I said, because I don't know how that person wants to identify
1: hmm. And I think that's one thing that I have, like, after being misgendered, my wife and I have talked about like, what is a way that we can make this work? And I mean, sometimes I'll mention, I don't know if I maybe I present enough. I'm like, am I androgynous and left looking where somebody would be like, I'm not sure what they would be comfortable with. So I will just not use Ma'am at all, just in case that would be my ideal. And I know like when people are in the middle of working, it's a long, long conversation that I would hope someone would have with themselves. But, you know, as a general rule of thumb, sure. Just like you said, if it's kind of like, okay, and that's actually a person I really am not sure if they are male or female. So I'm going to just err on the side of caution and use they, them knowing that technically we could do that for everybody in the world, you know, cause there are people who are non-binary who appear very femme and those who appear very masculine and so they have a lot of erasure as well. Myself, I'm almost more privileged in the fact that I do have more of an androgynous appearance and potentially someone might be like, oh, I feel kind of uncomfortable. I could be wearing a shirt and a tie. I still could be called ma'am, which is really frustrating. But other times people are like, oh, maybe you wouldn't like to be called ma'am. I'm like, that's correct. <laughs> just by conveying that through my dress.
0: Can we dive into that privilege piece you just alluded to?
1: hmm Yeah.
0: What do you think of when we're talking about sexual privilege in this kind of binary, non-binary way?
1: So when it comes to gender identity, let me kind of start with myself in that because so I was assigned female at birth. And as I've discovered my non I am more there's a phrase transmasculine. So for me, I do, you know, I'm not all the way on the full end of the spectrum in terms of appearing very masculine, but I have a more, you know, slight, it's maybe even masculine of center is another way to call it. And so, but because of that, I do get certain aspects of male privilege or let's say at the very least, I do not have to experience the things that those who are female over time, I have noticed I do not have to deal with that anymore. So specifically, let's say, unwelcomed advances from men. I notice you know, much more often now how often my wife has to go through that as someone, she's cisgender, she's uh, feminine-appearing. And what the difference is, you know, I can walk into a bar and not worry like, oh, you know, who's going to hit on me tonight, you know, in terms of like it being unwanted advances. Am I going to feel safe? And like knowing that she has to kind of walk into places and sort of prepare herself. I remember what it used to be like when I had to do that. And so I really like to make sure I recognize that even as a person, you know, I identify as trans, but because I have elements of that masculine privilege. I really want to be sure that I recognize that those who are just, you know, even cisgender females, those who are trans females, there's so much misogyny and it, both for those who are cis, those who are trans, and I've become even more aware of it. But it took me a bit to recognize, like, wait a second, there's been a shift, and I now have a certain privilege that I didn't have before, even though as a trans person, now I have some less privilege, and so I feel like that's where... Almost anybody can probably take a step back and say, wait a second, there's certain ways, let's say, as a cisgender person that I don't have to worry about such and such, just like a trans person does. Or even somebody who is binary trans and people see them as the binary gender they are, they don't have the non-binary aspect of being not seen. So When it comes to your original question about gender identity, there are so many intricate layers of privilege that can be unpacked, even within the trans community itself.
0: Yeah, yeah. Talk to us about within the trans community, because I'm curious. It seems to me, as someone who's standing on the outside, that there's an evolution even happening within the community.
1: Sure, it's so true. And I'm just kind of thinking back to even when I started (laughs) my paying attention to this kind of thing. And I have to every day, I I use Facebook mainly. I subscribe to certain places in which I'm going to be constantly be made aware. Is there anything that has changed in terms of the way that certain words are used, certain ways that people are being identified? Because this is an evolving language for sure. And so because of that evolution, let, let me give a couple examples. For instance, the word transgender. Well, first, like, let's say the word transsexual was used and is sometimes still used nowadays if people are comfortable using it for themselves. So originally, transsexual, in its strictest use of the term, would mean somebody who is going to use medical intervention to transition from the gender they were assigned at birth and in these cases back in the day to the, quote, other gender. So transsexual, trans meaning across. So you're going across to the other gender. You're going to use medical intervention. And so some people, it's really important to them, even present day, to use the word transsexual to say, I just want to make it clear to those who need to know, I am somebody who is not only uncomfortable with my gender at birth, I'm going through medical intervention, you know, whether it's hormone surgeries. And so nowadays, though, that isn't used as much because transsexual has been used so often in a negative connotation in terms of diagnosis, like mental illness kind of associating sort of things. And so transgender was starting to be used as a softer approach to moving away from that. It's an umbrella. But now I've noticed that transgender now is the new transsexual People are saying more specifically, I'm transgender, I'm using medical intervention to be able to transition. And those who are trans, more so, I mean, they might be using medical intervention, but they might be, um, I would say like myself, for instance, I'm not going to be starting hormone therapy, but I did have breast reduction surgery to help with feeling more comfortable in my body in terms of my gender and socially you know I did change my haircut and my clothes and things like that and so I would not call myself transgender for me especially because I work with so many people who are transgender I feel like that's there's this level of And some people might say I'm minimizing my experience. But, you know, those who are going through having surgeries and hormones and name change, legal name change and society's disgruntledness about that in general, I feel like there's this level of that that's there. And so that vernacular is starting to shift. And so those within the trans community, you know, there's disagreement about, wait a second, you're trans or are you transgender? Wait, I don't think you really are transgender because you haven't done this step or that step. And so there's a saying known as, are you trans enough? And I'm putting that in quotes. And that really inhibits a lot of people who are uncomfortable with their gender assigned at birth from taking steps forward to do something about it because they then feel like invalidated and they believe it. It's
0: even within the community, there's another sense of invisibility. There's another sense of otherness.
1: Absolutely, there is. You know, and I've been hearing also
0: in the interwebs and therapist group kind of conversations, I've been hearing a lot of conversation around a lot more young people these days being on identifying as a non-binary person. Like, yeah, and I said it's, it's much more prevalent.
1: Yeah, and I think part of that, I mean, I still, I'm gesturing towards my couch in my office right now. <laughs> I'm having, you know, people really are coming out or wanting to discuss this younger. And I am not going to attribute everything to the internet, but dang, that has really been helpful. You know, just having, I'll get emails from people who are 12 years old and they're like, hey, I saw your YouTube video and I think I might be transgender. You know, how can I tell my parents? You know, what's my first step to be able to get this figured out without the internet? I have clients who are in their 60s and they're like, oh my goodness, gosh, do I wish I had the internet when I was younger.
0: You know, this brings up a really interesting conversation because... Is it even, there's a time in one's life where one might realize for themselves that they don't identify with the gender that they're given at birth, but it's not necessarily like, you know, at a particular age, although it might start showing early or it might be something that's kind of always been under wraps because it's not how you've been socialized, correct?
1: Yeah. And it's Definitely varies person to person, and I would say, especially, it could depend on the region they live, it could depend on their parents, you know, in terms of acceptability, exposure to others who maybe like that as well. And so, you know, knowing it's going to be different for each person. I mean, there are definitely examples of like some kids who are just maybe more self-aware, you know, as three years old. There's one example I could think of, of a kid who had a twin and because they were both assigned male at birth. And so here's the one twin was very connected to their male identity. And the twin is three years old and doing just like, you know, very comfortable with anything. It has to do with being labeled as a boy. And this other twin was... Just, you know, just like, I don't want the same. I don't want those. Like, why do you keep making me have the same thing as my brother? You know, why are you making me go in that bathroom? Why are you, like, this kid was like, it was painful, very painfully clear. And so those parents really started to pay attention to that. They were like, oh my gosh, like, this is serious. Like, we need to at least go see a child psychologist who knows how to work with children who are having Mm -hmm. difficulty with their gender. And so that kid is three and they don't know, you know, Hey, by the way, I'm transgender. And so I need to see a gender therapist. Like, but at least the parents had the wherewithal to say, I think I know what this is, but let's just go ahead and start taking the steps to find out if this is what's going on.
0: Yeah. And I think those parents probably, I'm making an assumption here, but they were probably also looking for some support for themselves in how to nurture their child, how to help their child live a healthy life.
1: Yeah, and if you're interested, this family I'm talking about, there was a movie, a documentary made. It's called Growing Up Koi, and it's on Netflix. I have a very momentary cameo in it. I don't talk, but I'm in a park. Let's just say that because this is a family that's local here in Colorado, but it's a film that has been taken to film festivals and is being shown around the world. So again, it's called Growing Up Koi.
0: Oh, thank you for that. We're definitely going to link to it in our show notes so that Mm -hmm. folks can find it a little easier. Yeah. Yeah. Dara, I'm wondering, I know that there's so much that we haven't gotten to that we're missing, and I'm wondering what is pressing for you right now? What do you want to make sure we hit on?
1: Well, I think this has been a really terrific conversation because I think it's what it's continuing to hit on is that, like you said, this is, in terms of gender, this is not something that is new in and of itself as an experience. But the fact that we're now, it's more visible is great. And it's just like any other, I guess I'll call it social movement. It's going to kind of get worse before it gets better because now that people are trans invisible and, and visible, there are even on the political level, there's people that are really scared about this. And so it, just like any other movement, we have to get through this part of it. And those of you who are listening who can help step up in any way you can to help those who are coming out as trans and non-binary, this is an actual social movement that you can be a part of to help.
0: I love that invitation. And I want to go just a little nudge in and say one of the biggest things I believe that we can all do is start recognizing where our own privilege lies and what we can do about our own languaging out in the world.
1: Yeah, and like I said, that's something I'm very much needing to work on myself. I think the two things that you hit upon that I'm taking with me (laughs) from this conversation would be when you asked about, pronouns and how do you then even just let one another know these are my pronouns um in fact I will challenge myself today to make sure I have a couple of meetings coming up later and I'm going to make sure I do that and because it's can feel uncomfortable but if I've noticed if you practice something often enough it really can become a very natural part and especially if you're coming from a kind, connecting place. And the second aspect is, like I said, in terms of me looking at my language and how often do I still assume if somebody is male or female just because I see somebody in front of me with, you know, a beard, you know, for myself, you know, and if I want to be consistent, I cannot assume that that person is male unless, and if I'm not engaging with them, then, you know, so be it. But if we're going to have an interaction and I might refer to them, I need to step in and ask, because that's what I want to happen for me as well.
0: Yeah. You know, I know that for some people who are just starting to think about this, for some cisgendered people who this is not a part of their awareness that they've built in, there's fear around asking. There's fear because they think, well, gosh, if I ask you what your pronoun is and you are binary, will you be offended?
1: That's a great point. And so I think perhaps it's all about the presentation of it. And I think making it about yourself, you know, and saying like, I wanted to let you know, these are my pronouns. And even if it, you're like, oh, that's, yeah, i sure you are a he, him. You know, you look like a he, him. But, you know, that other person might be like, okay, sure, I can play this game. It kind of reminds me like on my intake paperwork, I do have you and you put your legal name. And then I also say, you know, what name would you like to be called? And people who aren't trans are like, like they might write a nickname just for fun, but they're like, I don't know what you mean. But I haven't seen anyone get like upset by it. Like, why would you ask me that? That's so dumb. So I would like to err on the side of caution and say that for the most part, maybe you'll get like kind of a funny look from somebody or they might be like, why are you asking me that? But, you know, if somebody actually, you know, is offended by that, that's a whole nother conversation in and of itself. And Let's just hope that doesn't happen very often. And when it does, just sort of like say, oh, what?" actually, this is more about the relationship I have with this person. And that was very telling <laughs> that they did that. And if, you know, but maybe there are, a lot of times people when they're that uncomfortable, it means they're potentially shadow self stuff. You know, what is it that they're projecting in that moment?
0: Yeah. What's that uncomfortableness about? Yes. This is also just making me think it's that time of year where I have on my calendar to update all of my intake forms. And- you better believe I'm going to make sure that I have questions on there about what pronouns do you want to be called and what's your preferred name and making sure that my intake form allows for genders other than male and female.
1: I'm not sure that I've done that yet. So I'm going to make
0: sure of that this week.
1: Thank you for mentioning that. It's such a small gesture. I
0: don't believe it's small. I mean, I think it's maybe small for me to make it, but it's not small on the perception side in terms of how I perceive somebody.
1: Literally, it could take two minutes to make the change in the paperwork, but it can make like the biggest difference in a person who looks at that and is like, wow, like this therapist, okay. I'm seen Mm -hmm. seen already. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Since we're talking about paperwork, that reminds me that in mid-May, oh, so that'd be like coming up here. I have an online course that I'm going to be putting on teachable.com. And it is going to basically be an introduction for therapists to be able to understand how to work with non-binary clients. And that's the reason it made me think of it is that that is one of the examples of something. Here's, you know, little tidbits. Here's something you can do to help your non-binary clients feel more comfortable. But there's like dozens of tidbits in this video that I'll be sharing. And so, yeah, I would love for you to share the link for those who are interested in learning more about that.
0: Oh, I can't wait to share the link. And you seem to mention that this was one of some things you have coming out. Are there other things you're putting out too, Dara?
1: Yes. Right now, I'm not quite sure the pacing, but my hope is just to start maybe every three months or so, have a new course. And I really am focusing on making courses for therapists. And so part of it is that I'm always reaching out and asking therapists, you know, what is it that you still need help with when it comes to working with trans clients. So a good way is to, let's see, uh, you had friend me on Facebook, you know, look up Dara L. Hoffman Fox. I have so many therapist friends on Facebook, and I think it's just amazing to be able to see this as a way to connect. So if you want to be able to give your input as to what courses you want me to create later, I put surveys up all the time. I have a newsletter. You can sign up through my website at DaraHoffmanFox.com. But yeah, working with therapists, it's a huge focus for me this time. So yes more to come for sure.
0: And I think it's so needed within the therapist community. I mean, these are people who are out there supporting the trans community. And we really need to know how to be the best support that we can be because not everybody is as trained as you are.
1: Well, I am so happy to be able to share this information. And it's wonderful to have a platform like this to be able to know that people are going to hear this information and to have, you know, I know that, like I said, from other podcast interviews you've done, I know this is on your mind and you're conscious of it. And that I feel like it's like just a little army of therapists out there who are just going to, you know, just one person telling another, telling another is what's going to help create this big change.
0: I totally agree with you. Can we also make sure to, we talked about your YouTube channel before, but I also want to make sure we talk about your book. Oh, sure. Thanks. (laughs) Let's not leave that out because I think these are two resources that are really good for people who themselves are non-binary.
1: Great. So the, again, the YouTube channel is conversations with a gender therapist. There's also a Facebook page by the same name that, and that's one of those things where you can like the page and then set up notifications for it. And so I wrote a book and published a book it's called you and your gender identity a guide to discovery and i self-published it in 2016 and then skyhorse publishing approached me and asked if they could publish it in 2017 so that happened as well that was like kind of like we were talking about earlier it's like a dream come true but like how did that just happen i just had a publisher approach me about publishing my book
0: I think this relates back to an earlier conversation we were having about the invisibility and the steps that you are taking, even just in regards to how you want to be seen in conversations like in a restaurant, by speaking up, by learning how to compassionately assert yourself, you start a dialogue and you get seen. And I think in some ways, self-publishing a book is right along that same line. Line. You know, you publish the book and then it got noticed.
1: That's such a cool example. That really is true because, like, literally the publishing company saw the book and they were like, wow, we need more people to have this. I think this would fit in with what we're doing. Yes, that was a huge moment of feeling like. I guess myself being seen, but really the work that I'm doing and the importance of the work that I'm doing being seen. And so, yeah, it's been, I'm not quite, you know, people ask me like, how's it doing? That's because like the publisher has all that information and I don't get it until June. But I do know that a lot of people have let me know that they feel like this book as first of all, therapists are buying it to learn more about it themselves. They're buying it to show to their clients and then encouraging them to get the book. It's a workbook. And so there's exercises in journaling, it's something that people can keep for the rest of their lives when they look back on how they work through it. I wrote the book while I was going through my own gender identity exploration. Little did I know at the time even that I was doing that. And writing the book helped me figure that out.
0: I wonder, I mean, we're towards the end of our conversation, but I could dive deeper if, if you're willing. Yeah, please. I wonder how much of your exploration, you know, in terms of writing the book and doing the work that you were doing also impacted you in regards to how you thought about yourself and your own gender.
1: I would say yeah, it helped me know that working through this book could be hard because as I was writing the book I wasn't sure why is this so hard at times. And let's say for instance a part of the book where I have people look back on their childhood and their teenage years and where is it that as they look back now they can see some of those gender struggles coming up for them and not feeling like they you know, fit right in their bodies or that they felt weird, whatever phrase works for them. And then I just started, you know, I I was creating questions and then my unconscious just started like opening up and like just really revealing to me, like, hello, like this is something that has bothered you too. And so it took me a little longer to write the book probably than it should, except the fact that it's just kind of like when someone writes a memoir, like it can be really emotional and difficult. So I was writing this like workbook for other people to use. But for me, it definitely revealed. And by the end of the book, like, honestly, I was like, wow, like, yep, I'm non-binary. And this was amazing that I was able to get through this process by creating this book. I originally created the book because I wanted, I was like, as a therapist, I wish I had this book to, so, you know, how you're encouraged as an entrepreneur, like create something that you know, you would want for yourself. And then I also didn't know, oh, I also need this book as somebody who would actually purchase this book and work through this book. So once again, another surprise that was unexpected, but in the end, it turns out to be a really important part of the creation of it and of myself. <laughs> I love
0: it. Thank you. I've heard this often before that in the process of writing a book you're often working through a lot of stuff. I think it was yeah, I think it was John Cabotson who was recently on Oprah's Super Soul Conversations and he was talking about this book that he's recently written about finding your own religion and how he worked through his own process of doing just that in the writing of the book. Mm.
1: Yes, I would say it really is true that until you go through the process of writing a book, you may hear that that's something that can happen, but it's so true. It is so true. And I've wanted to write a book my whole life, and I had always, you know, been reading about the advice that Stephen King or Ray Bradbury gives about writing a book, but it's so true. You just have to do it, and then you will see, like, why it can be such a challenging experience, but also, like, one of the best things you could ever do.
0: Transformational.
1: Yes. That's a great word. Yeah. yeah.
0: I, my book is kind of sketched out, but it's, it's just a sketch still. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> it has to start somewhere. Absolutely. And I don't mean to scare you, but really it took me about a year and a half to write. And there's so much in my life that I had to really have to pause in order to do that. And so people have asked me when my next book's coming out. And I said, definitely, I have a teenage daughter and a teenage stepdaughter. And so I said, not until they go to college because I need to be able to focus on that aspect of my life of being a parent for now. But yes, a Mm -hmm. book can come when I have an empty nest. That'd be a perfect time to write a book. Yeah,
0: I know this is a lot of the reason my book is just in sketch form because I have two little ones at home myself.
1: Yeah, yes. I know from experience that that it really will take over. It'll be written when it's meant to be written. I I I know it, Rebecca. (laughs) Yeah,
0: I totally trust that. I think I trust that for all of us. You know, every one of us who has something within us that is transformational that is meant to come out, I trust that it always comes out at just the right time in our lives.
1: Mm -hmm. Just like we were meant to have our interview today, Today. instead of (laughs) months ago when we first connected. I really always, I do wonder, like, what would that have interview? I'm sure they all would have been fine, but today's what we needed, and today's what your audience needed.
0: Yes, I very much agree, and I just want to leave an invitation for our audience that if this conversation stirs up any questions for you if you want to know more about anything do us a favor and either drop us a line at practice at gmail.com or hop on over to our pobscast facebook group and drop a note there dara and i would be happy to dive a little deeper perhaps we'll even have her back on for another conversation to answer those questions
1: sounds good okay. thank you dara oh you know what i just noticed you said her <gasps> oh, did I? <laughs> it took me a second to notice that. I thought I better oh. say it because your listeners would be like, oh, Rebecca.
0: <laughs> well, I think it's perfect that you called me out on that. Thank you.
1: Oh, so, okay. There we go.
0: Thank you, Dara.
1: Thank you, Rebecca. You're very graceful. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
0: At the end of today's conversation, wasn't it beautiful how Dara called me out when I used the wrong pronoun? I called them, she, instead of they or them. And Dara's compassion and just gentle, soft way of reminding me, I thought was so beautiful. I wanted to make sure to leave that moment in because I think it's really important for all of us to notice that when we're trying to make these changes in how we speak and how we refer to others and how just we think, we're gonna make mistakes, they're inevitable. The important part is that we recognize that we made those mistakes, because it's in recognizing them that we start to actually create ripples of change, that we start to make shifts and transformation. By my sharing my mistakes with you, I'm hoping that they also help to bring more awareness, (laughs) And compassion into you around how you use pronouns when talking about others and yourselves. Non binary individuals are often misunderstood, which can lead to feelings of invalidation and invisibility. The need for mental health providers to create a safe, supportive, and affirming environment for their non binary clients is higher than ever. Dara's e-course, Beyond They, Them, Theirs, What Non-Binary Clients Want You to Know as Their Mental Health Provider, is now available for pre-sale, and there's a link to click in our show notes if you want to learn more. Our integrative mastermind, designed for therapists and healers to help you release blockages, cultivate your vision, and tend to yourself and the relationships that support you, is now enrolling, and we have just a few spots left. Our focus is on integrating your professional and personal parts in full support of you thriving in all aspects of your life, relationships, and livelihood, because all these layers play together to either elevate you to the next level or hold you stuck in a loop of overwhelm and inaction. Learn more about The Mastermind over at practiceofbeingseen.com slash mastermind. It's so interesting to me that so many of our conversations on this podcast are about how we conform and inhibit our true natures. You can certainly see how this plays out with the non-binary identity and how so often we fit ourselves into these binary boxes and yet they, they just don't fit who we totally may be. If you feel that you're also on this quest to remember who you are, what you're made of, and why you're here, then I invite you to join our Wild Women discussion groups. It's it's not just for women, it's for anyone who's brave enough to call out their wild side. We're gonna be journeying together and exploring the wildness that lives within our souls. And we're gonna be remembering together that deep wisdom that reintegrates our belief in ourselves. We're gonna be meeting online once a month through the end of September. And you can go to slash events to learn more. The Practice of Being Seen podcast is produced by me, Rebecca Wong, along with the amazing behind the scenes support of Christy Hausler. We love hearing from you. So Go ahead and send us an email at practiceofbeingseen@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Music by Chris Ferris Jr. and Sr. produced by Kidney Stone Studio. We hope that you enjoyed the show, and we'll see you next week for another episode of the Popscast, brought to you by Connectfulness.